Jonah's, we found, discovered in the first week that Jonah has some difficulties making sense of how God's mercy and God's justice work together, and in his perception, sometimes don't work right together. But in God's eyes, they certainly do. And he challenged Jonah and challenges us to kind of try to search and reach for God's understanding of divine mercy, how it can sometimes be grander than our understanding of mercy, and to understand also that God is responsible for justice far more so than we are responsible for justice. In week two, we talked about severe mercy, the notion that that God would allow Jonah to be swallowed up by a whale in order to... uh, Help him see the error of his ways. And sometimes when we're in the midst of a storm or a difficult time, uh, we don't really like the notion of going through those things or God allowing us to go through those things when he may be allowing us to do that so that we can understand his divinity, his mercy, and his justice way better than we could have otherwise. We may need that. This week, we're going to talk about offensive mercy the notion that mercy can actually offend. It can offend you. Jonah will discover that God has no problem offending us, or him in his case, to help him understand and follow him better. But first, we're going to talk about, well, let's look at the Scripture. The Scripture today we're going to look at is Jonah 3, verses 1 through 3. It says, The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Get up, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach the message that I tell you. And Jonah got up and went to Nineveh according to the Lord's command. I think it's interesting. Number one, the first time, the phrasing here in in Jonah 3 verse 1 is almost identical to the phrasing of Jonah 1 1. There's just one phrase that's a little different. Guess what it is? Huh? A second time. That's 1 1. You're right. A second time. And then there's a very different reaction from Jonah this time than from the last time, right? The last time God said, Jonah, get up and go, Jonah did what? He got up and went the other direction. This time we're seeing a very different response. Now it's get up and go, and he says, okay, and he gets up and goes straight to where God has told him to go. Uh, I think Jonah is taking advantage of something I would call the mulligan factor, Does anybody know what a mulligan is? If you do not know what a mulligan is, then uh, you should be grateful that they sent Jesus Christ. He sent Jesus Christ to give us all a mulligan, okay? And let me explain to you what that means. A mulligan, and this word, this a second time, or again, the word is senit. We see this four other times in scriptures, three times in Jeremiah, once in Haggai. In both of those cases, when he says to the, to the prophet, he says a second time, he's actually adding to the mission. He's saying this is the next phase or the next season or the next step. But in this case, he's telling Jonah, you didn't get it right the first time. I'm not giving you more to do. I'm giving you another chance to do this over again and do it right. And that's really what a mulligan is. Now, now some of you who play golf would know what this is. Um, I used to play golf. I gave away my clubs right before I moved here, um, and there was a reason for that. Me and <laughs> me and Mulligan were really good friends. I needed lots of Mulligans. the The term Mulligan comes from uh, David Bernard Mulligan. Imagine that. He used he in the 1920s. He was a regular golfer. Golfed with a foursome in a. Um, at a club in New York. 
And he used to drive about two hours to get in. And he was driving this old car, this old sports car, and it, it rumbled a lot on his way in. And so one time he came in and he hit it, went to hit a tee shot and he completely missed the ball. Or the wind from his club knocked it off the tee. Now, all of us who play golf should know that if you knock it off the tee, guess what that counts as? That counts as a stroke. That counts as a hit. So without even thinking about it, David Mulligan picks up his ball, puts it back on the tee, and takes another swing and hits it. And the other guys in his foursome go, what is that? He goes, I'm taking a correction shot. And they said, what do you call that? He goes, I call that a mulligan. I call that a mulligan. He reinvented his, his, the game of golf. He bent the rules, right? He moved things around and trying to pretend like whatever he had just done never even really happened. Have you ever felt that way in your life? Like you've said or done something that you're like, I really wish we could pretend like that never happened, right? In most cases, it's, it's me saying something that I wish I had never said. Sometimes it's me making a fool out of myself because I know it's hard to believe, but I do that, right? Maybe I trip and I fall in front of a whole bunch of people. You know, that used to happen to me all the time. I swear in high school I would do that, usually if there was a pretty girl involved, right? I would invariably do or say something really stupid, and I'd think to myself, can, I, can we just pretend like that never happened? But here's our reality. Can you really ever pretend like those things never happened? Ooh. Generally, No. Generally, if somebody says something hateful or harmful to you, or if you say something hateful or harmful to somebody else, what's the likelihood that you can look at them in the next sentence and say, let's just pretend like that never happened? Any of you who are in a relationship, I think, could understand that, right? If, if somebody really close to you that has said something that hurts you, you can't just forget it easily. It's hard. It's really hard. And I counsel couples all the time to watch their words for that reason. You cannot undo something you've, or unsay something. It's really hard to undo something too. And so the notion of a mulligan really, it stretches us. It almost offends us because we don't, wouldn't forgive somebody who did those things, so why should we give somebody else that kind of forgiveness? Does that make sense? Or we wouldn't expect it. If I say something really stupid, I can hope for a mulligan. Do I expect a mulligan? I was telling the teens this morning, I have a friend, this, I have a friend in, uh, that I grew up with. His name was Ryan. And me and Ryan and another friend of mine, we were friends so close together. And in the sixth grade, my friend Ryan said something mean to my other friend's sister. Something completely inappropriate. He should have never said it. It was totally rude. And this other friend, now how old am I right now? I'm not 50 yet. Don't get me there. I'm, <laughs> I'm 48. My other friend will still not talk to Ryan. It's been 35 years. 35 years, and he still won't talk to him over something he said as a sixth grader. <laughs> now, now, we could say to ourselves, look, I would never hold a grudge that long, but I bet if you searched your soul, there are people in your life that have said have done something that you have refused to ever talk to again. 
that if you stopped for a minute and breathed, you would go, yeah, that was probably dumb, but was it really unforgivable? But our emotions get locked into it, right? And Jonah is, I'm sure, feeling the same way. This is really the crux of his problem with Nineveh. He doesn't want them to have a mulligan because Nineveh has oppressed Israel, beaten the people of Israel, invaded Israel. They've done a whole host of horrible things to the people of God, and Jonah's just going, I'm holding a grudge here. This cannot be forgiven, and I cannot give you a mulligan. Isn't it not ironic that in the midst of this, it's Jonah who needs and is getting a mulligan? Because God's phrasing here in, in chapter 3, like I said, it's identical to chapter 1. He doesn't say, look, I'm really angry with you this time, so I'm upping the ante or I'm changing the game or this is a whole new set of expectations. He just very, almost in the same words, very calmly just says, I'm going to repeat myself. I'm going to tell you a second time. This is what you need to do. How many of you have had kids? Is it easier the second time to say I'm telling you the second time? Or is it infinitely harder? Or the third time? Or the fourth time? Or in the case of my children, double digits, the 10th or 12th time? And don't ask my mom. She probably would tell you she had to tell me everything 12 times too. But God remains stoic and simply says, okay, we're going to pretend like this never happened. There's no emotion attached to it. There's no anger attached to it. There's no bitterness attached to it. I'm going to tell you again. This is what I need you to do, and I'm going to give you another chance to respond differently. Tell me that's not merciful. And yet Jonah is offended. And the truth is, I think sometimes we would be offended to see somebody given a clean slate when they did something we thought was unforgivable. See, Jonah, I really think Jonah is actually bank, spent most of the first two chapters banking on the notion that, remember, we have a just God, right? He's banking on the notion that by not giving Nineveh a mulligan, God will have no choice but to judge them instead. He's hoping for it. He's hoping that if he says, I will, if I don't do what you want me to do, God, you've got no option. You're just going to have to do the other route. Do you think God responds well to that? <laughs> do you respond well to that? God doesn't respond well to that at all. And he certainly, by the way, is not backed into a box. God will make it happen if he wants something to happen, as Jonah is now finding out, right? He wanted God to mark a triple bogey on Nineveh's scorecard, which is a score I am well acquainted with. He wanted him to say, you're out, mercy is no longer available to you, but God realizes that right now that it's not triple bogey they need, it's a mulligan. It's another opportunity. It's another chance. Jonah has mishit all along in his relationship with God in this process as we've, as we've read Jonah. He's angry, he's scared. He even risks the lives of others by giving, getting on a boat, right? Knowing that God is chasing him and subjecting them to a storm. He's taking others with him on this horrible journey. He says he's the cause of the storm. In fact, he didn't have to be, had he not been on the boat, 
I think it's safe to say they wouldn't have had a storm. He also tells them to throw him overboard. Now, one reading would say, oh, that was a gracious thing to do. He's tried to eliminate himself from the problem. Can I just tell you, I think that he gave up. He did not expect to swim to shore. He certainly didn't expect to be swallowed by a whale and spit up on a beach in three days. When you have people throw you overboard into the sea, that's a sign that you've given up. That's a sign that you believe you've done so many things that are so bad and offended God so much that you cannot be forgiven for that. Just throw me in the ocean and let me die. Do you ever ever do that in your relationship with God? Do you ever feel like you've done so many things to separate yourself from Him that you cannot possibly be reconciled to Him so you give up? You're not worthy of being given a mulligan or a second chance. So you stop praying. You stop reading. You stop coming to church. You stop worshiping with one another. You stop singing during church because you think this day, this week, you've done so many bad things that you don't deserve to sing these songs. Can I just tell you that you are never too far away from God for him to reach you. And you're never so far away from him that he won't want to reach you. Don't convince yourself. This is not a norm or an unusual problem. The people of God have always had this problem. If we read in Matthew chapter 16, verse 17, Jesus is talking to, to Peter also known as Simon, it says, and he says, blessed, Jesus responded, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah. Son of Jonah. It says son of John everywhere else, and some scholars think, well, maybe this is just a, you know, another way of saying John, but I don't think so. <laughs> because if, if you know Peter, Peter has a bit of an up and down relationship with God. So he says, Simon, son of Jonah, because because of flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father in heaven, goes on and says, revealed this to you. Peter is the guy who in Matthew 16, 22, actually in the same context, actually rebukes Jesus. When Jesus says, this is the way it's going to go, I'm going to die in three days. And what you thought was going to happen is not going to happen. It's going to look completely different. And Peter gets up in Jesus' face and says, I don't like that. We're not doing that. That is never going to happen. I'm never going to allow that to happen because he knows better than God, right? Cracks me up. Peter cracks me up. Sorry, personal jokes. So he rebukes Jesus, and Jesus says to him, get away from me, Satan. He says, come on. You don't get to decide how this is going to work or not work. Does this sound like Jonah? Does this sound like me? Sometimes. I think I want to know how it's going to work, and I'm going to make it work out that way, whether God wants it to work out that way or not. I'm stubborn. Did you know that? Right? (laughs) Who said yes? Wow. It's one of my family. You know it was. All right, so... 
So he's offended by God because that's not how this is supposed to work out or supposed to end. In, in Acts chapter 10, he's doing it again. We see him sit, arguing, essentially, fighting within himself over who deserves to hear the gospel. In Acts chapter 10, he's, he is a, Peter's a Jew, and, and he has been raised and taught to believe that Gentiles, because they are not the people of God, cannot come to know God, and thus the gospel is not really for them. And if you read the story in Acts chapter 10, eventually he comes to his senses, but he didn't come to his senses the first time. He had to see that or had to have a dream come from the Lord three times. It took three shots of God just repeating himself for him to figure out that the gospel wasn't just for a small, tiny group of select people, but was for the entire world. One of the super cool things I think about that passage is this, is that Peter is called to go to Joppa to spread the gospel. Do you know where Jonah started his journey of fleeing from God? Joppa. Coincidence? I think not. I think we are, we are looking at God saying, look, this, my one prophet, he handled it poorly the first time, right? He said, look, I gave him a message and he ran from it and I had to tell him again to get him back in here. But Peter has figured it out. Yes, it took him three times too because he's a little slow because I'm a little slow because believe it or not, we're all a little slow sometimes or stubborn or offended. I can come up with all kinds of reasons not to do what God wants me to do, Right? But Peter launches from Joppa the spread of the gospel, the message of Jesus Christ, salvation, the eternal mulligan, right? He launches that from the same place that Jonah had tried to run away from God. I think it's pretty cool. But I'm a Bible nerd, so I would think it's cool. In Matthew 16, 18, which was the continuation of our, our original text, it says, and also I say to you, Peter, that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. Peter, imperfect Peter, rebellious Peter, undeserving Peter, is the rock on which the church is built. From the very beginning, God has built his church on people who are totally imperfect. You realize that, right? He's never asked you to be perfect. There's only been one perfect one. His name is Jesus, and he came and died for you. Not so that you could miraculously become perfect, but so that you would have the covering of his perfection. As God sees you, as God looks at you, do you know who he sees? He sees Jesus Christ. That's the permanent, eternal do-over. He's got you covered. Okay? He's got you covered if you are willing to follow him. So if you're a Christian, though, and you've, and you've made these missteps, the same missteps that Jonah has made or the same missteps that Peter has made because they make them and because you make them and I make them, we all make them. If you have avoided spreading the gospel because make no, make no mistake, our mission is to spread this message that Peter spread. God called Jonah to go preach a message of repentance, right? 
and turning away from their evil ways and to God. Then he called Peter to do the same. This is consistent. The people of God are called to be this. We are called to be a people who spread the name of God, the word of God, the love of God, the salvation of God to the world. And yet that mission seems very difficult for us at times. We find it awkward or, or challenging or scary. And dare I say, some, some of us, sometimes we think that, that person's not going to listen. They don't need the gospel. They need way more help than that. Well, there is no more help than the gospel. So if you've ever avoided spreading the gospel because you're not comfortable with it or scared by it or you feel underprepared by it, join the club. All of us have. But that, that, is, that is falling short of what God, is, the mission that God has placed us on. Keep that in mind. If you said something hurtful or done something horrible, or as I said, you stop praying, stop studying, stop tithing, stop participating in the work that God has done all around you, maybe you feel like you can't get back to God, that He won't give you a do-over, a mulligan, a second chance. I think we should, I think if you get nothing else out of this sermon, you're lying to yourself. That's hogwash. That can't happen. you made a mistake, okay. Or maybe you feel less like Jonah and more like the people of Nineveh. Maybe you've never really known God and you've, you just know about Him. You've heard of Him. People talk about Jesus and salvation, but you think to yourself, look, I've done so many, so many evil, horrible things in my life. I cannot be loved. There's no way God would ever accept me. Big lie. I've got to get myself right before God will accept me. Big lie, huge lie, and yet so many who do not yet know the Lord have convinced themselves of that. I'm not good enough yet. Let's wait till I figure some things out, and then I will present myself to God. There are two things you need to realize. One, you will never be good enough to present yourself to God because God's perfect, and I love y'all, but y'all ain't, okay? None of us are perfect. We will never be good enough for that. But that doesn't mean he's not willing to look past it. If only we are willing to actually do it. See, the funny thing about mulligans is that, or do-overs is that sometimes we could have them, and the problem is we just don't take them. I've played golf, as I said, plenty of times. And there were plenty of times where I've hit a really bad tee shot and just gone down the hill and had my friends go, just take another shot because we weren't playing for money. It's okay. Just take another shot. And I would stubbornly go, no, I made my bed. I'm sleeping in it. Right? I'm doing it. Don't do that with your soul. Don't convince yourself that it's somehow better or makes you stronger or makes you more men. For men particularly, it's a problem. You're so manly and tough, you could do it. You made your bed, you're gonna sleep in it. God's got a better bed. <laughs> and he's offering it to you. Don't be so stubborn. 
and honestly, sometimes so arrogant as to believe that you do not deserve it or that you've done something so bad he can't possibly offer you a better option anyways, that he won't give you a do-over. Because thank the Lord, we serve the God of the second chance. And in my case, the second chance, the third chance, the fourth chance. The message today is very, very simple. It's very simple. You can never be too far away from God. And most of the time, just as Jonah was choosing, we choose not to take what God is offering us out of some misplaced sense of pride or guilt or anger or offense or frustration rather than simply acknowledging the fact that God is greater than we are, that God's love is greater than my capacity to love, that God's capacity to forgive is greater than mine, and that God's capacity to wipe your slate clean, to pretend like all this garbage that you've done never happened and to make it right so that you can set aside all the baggage that you carry with you and move forward. We pretend like he can't do that. Or maybe we feel so guilty we in secretly don't want him to do that. Don't do that to your soul. Because we serve a Lord who can and does want you to take a mulligan. He can and does want to give you a second chance. And he can and will give you a gift of salvation that you never, ever would have deserved otherwise. Amen to that. Amen to that. So, I did something wrong. I forgot to mention our Mother's Day gifts. See? I need another mulligan. So, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to, I need somebody to go find the kids on the fly. Go, Madison, run. <laughs> so I need you to be patient for a minute. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start talking a little bit about some of our prayers. And in the meantime, Madison's going to go chase down our kids. And when our kids come back in, I'm going to have them come up front and grab a little gift and give it to each and every person. Well, their mom would be good, right, to start with. But not just that, but every person who has been a mother to them. I'm going to encourage them to to give it to somebody who's impacted their life in some amazing, positive way that only moms really can, right? How many of you are moms? How many of you have a mom? <laughs> I'll be like, really? Come on now. And as imperfect as moms are to young children, mom is the name of God. Am I right? It is this person they look to, to know what goodness is, to know what love is, to know what strength is, to know what passion is. All right, kids, are you ready? So up here in this bag, there are a bunch of little things. Grab one and take it to your mom. Your mom's in the nursery? Well, then grab it and take it to your mom in the nursery. 
That's the same mom, by the way. The one kid goes, she's in the nursery. The other one goes, she is? <laughs> Two guesses. Which kid knew, boy or girl, which one knew where mom was? Which one had no clue? Wow. Wow. All right. So the next thing I would encourage is if you are an adult and there's somebody in this congregation who has blessed you, who has blessed you mightily, as we stand and I begin to read off the prayers of the congregation today, I would ask that you grab one of these. You grab something. It's a simple little trinket. It's Burt's Bees, and it says, love and be loved, right? Yeah. One, two, five, ten. <laughs> he acts like he's stealing something. He runs away with it. I would encourage you to not be shy about coming forward and grabbing something. If in your time of coming forward, see, you can sneak up here and act like you're going to grab something, and if you need prayer, we can pray for you too, and nobody will ever know. Just trying to help you out. All right, so as we stand up, everybody stand up, please, because it's a lot less awkward to get out and come grab something for a mom or to grab something or to come up for a prayer. It's a lot easier to do that with everybody else standing. Say, So here are some public prayers, some things that have been brought for us. They were filled out on a list. We also have, I want to remind you, we have an app. You're looking for the Burt's Bees are right there. We also have an app that you can put it on a prayer wall. We would encourage you to do that too. Couple of prayers today. First, uh, my daughter Rachel is leaving on a mission trip to Africa. Yeah, there you are right there. She's leaving on a mission trip to Africa in a few days. Um, we would pray for safe travel. She's going to go work with a group called Starfish International um, that does amazing things for girls in African countries. Uh, Pauline Westlake has asked us to pray for Dave Bechtel. He has blood clots in his lungs right now. He's been on our prayer list for a number of weeks, um, and I pray that, that he will find healing and that he will find the Lord. I know Susan would love to pray for that. Uh, Daisy Anderson, who many of you know, wants to be here, but she is just way too exhausted to come. Um, she's having some heart issues. She's rather elderly. If you have a chance to go visit Daisy, she will make you laugh hysterically. Daisy is fabulous. You should go visit her. Please, please, please. She would love to have visitors. Uh, Holly Morris is on a cruise this week. She prays for safe travel. She would also love for us to pray for who? The troops. We would always pray for the troops for Holly. Paula has asked for prayers for Chip Whipple, right? Son-in-law. He's having some physical problems. Uh, we would like for the doctor to be able to diagnose those things and resolve those issues. A special prayer has been asked for by, for Garth. Garth, you know, Garth has been coming to church here for weeks or months or a long time since last fall, but his, his work schedule has changed, so he has to work Sunday mornings. He's not able to be here. If you have opportunity to call him, talk to him, I don't know if there's any left. Did they take them all? They took them all. All right, who took more than one? There, see, Paula's got one for you. There you go. Give it to somebody. Give it to your mama. <laughs> okay. So, um, Garth, we ask for prayers for Garth. He has become such a wonderful member of this family. We love having him here. Um, I think they're all gone. <sighs> That's... <laughs> okay. Pray for him. Pray that he is able to to find opportunities to connect with God and connect with us. And if you have a chance, call him, drop him a note, let him know he's loved and he's cared for, offer to go to dinner with him, 
just, just to remind him that he is part of our family here, that we love him very much, and that, uh, you know, not even work can take you away from the family of God. Are there any other prayers that we'd like to offer or discuss today? Anything else? Praises? We already praised God for our awesome 51 kids going to camp, right? Awesome stuff. Yes, Ruby. Praise God, cataract surgery went well. That means you can see me now? Probably for the probably for the best that you can't see me clearly. All right. Anybody else? Anything else? Yes. Wow, dad's getting a new knee tomorrow. Okay. This is a, it's a risky endeavor for him. He's had some septicemia problems, some infection issues. Okay, so knee surgery we've come to consider to be commonplace. For Mark's dad, it's not so common. And it's, it's, yeah, it becomes, some, it creates some very unique challenges. So please pray for Mark's dad. Anything else? Yes. Marley's nose. Pray for Marley's nose. If you've seen Marley, she had a little personal contact with the asphalt. So, so she's going to get going to an ENT later this week, right? Right. She, she is. Trust me. Anything else? All right. Well, let's close in prayer. Father God, we are so blessed, so blessed to be able to meet here together as we see all the many faces, some new, some long-term, some returning after a period of time. We are so grateful to worship together to have an opportunity to remember that it is you who supply life and strength and love and mercy and grace. And I pray today, especially for those who have convinced themselves that something they've done or said is too big for your grace to handle. That's a lie. That's a lie straight from the mouth of Satan. God, you gave Jonah an opportunity to do it all over again, to start over as though what had happened before had never happened. You gave Peter a chance. You reinstated him into his kingdom even after he denied you three times. You gave him another chance. And you built your church. He is the rock on which you built your church. Let that be a lesson for us. That nothing we've done or said can separate us from the love of God. Nothing can take away that possibility if we would just turn to you and avail ourselves of you and just say, Lord, we know that you can wipe my slate clean no matter what it is or how guilty or upset I am with myself, whatever that is, that you can wipe that clean. All I have to do is be willing to accept it. All I have to be willing to do is to say, Lord, I am yours, and you are my God, and I desire for you to wipe away my sins, to make me clean, and to, to give me that second chance so that I may walk with you and know you and serve you and grow in you and find endless blessing in you. God, I pray for our hearts that we would get past our sense of guilt or anger or difficulty and just say, Lord, I wish to be your child. 
I want to do over, knowing that you will give it. Father God, I thank you for your strength, your love, and I thank you again for all of the mothers in this room, for they are a blessing on our lives. Help us to pause today and remember that, that you created moms. You've blessed each of us with a mom. And although every mom in the building would say they are not perfect, that you have given them an amazing love for their children. It is in Jesus' holy name that I pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you for coming this Sunday. I pray that you will have a wonderful week.